Craig Ashby. Sweet, well, what an intro. Thanks, Tammy. Hey, so, uh, good to see you, friends. Kira, welcome. Great to have you with us. Um, quick question to kick things off this morning for you. And the question is, do you like your name? Okay. Uh, that was probably meant to be a little bit more rhetorical, but um, that's fine. So, in your head... I oh, know, you can yell it out if you want to, but if you have um, thought about changing your name, or if you don't like your name, have you thought about changing it, and if so, to what? What would you change your name to? What's a, what's a cool name that you think, man, that would be awesome? So I'm just going to give a little bit of a test here and see if you're aware of some famous celebrities who have changed their name, and you can see why they've changed their name. So... Uh, this is the first person, Reginald Kenneth Dwight. Now, we don't know him by that name. What name do we know him by? Elton John. Okay. Right. Did you know that, Haley? Nice. Okay. Right. This one might be um, not as obvious. Uh, Margaret Mary Emily Ann Hyra is the name of a pretty popular actress, probably in the 90s, early 2000s, rom-coms, etc., any guesses? Meg Ryan is so much easier to say than all of that, isn't it? You can see why she changed her name. All right, this one is a little bit tricky. Marion Morrison. Does anybody know who this person is? Lynette. Boom. John Wayne. Masculine cowboy, if ever there was. You can see why he changed his name from Marion. Nothing offensive to Marion, but obviously it didn't really fit his persona. Uh, okay, this... Lady, Carrion Elaine Johnson. I'm going to tell. I'm going to tell you that her name is actually her stage name is Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi is a nickname because, as I read, uh, as I was researching this, um, she said she got that name because it's close to a whoopee cushion, and often she is filled with gas and her words were you've just got to let it out so I think her friends gave her that name and obviously it worked as a stage name I don't know I probably wouldn't have explained the reasoning behind it but anyway and then this person Thomas Mapether the fourth far more popular and a far more cooler name if you go by Tom Cruise isn't it okay so maybe your name's not as cool as Tom Cruise but Please spare a thought for some, some children whose celebrity parents must have had some sort of brain meltdown when they named their kids, okay? So here's some examples of some names which you're probably grateful you don't have. Uh, Chris Martin from Coldplay and Gwyneth Paltrow have a kid called Apple. It was not a sponsorship deal, um, but that's the little girl. She's not so little anymore. Uh, Mariah Carey, singer, she has a boy called Moroccan. Interesting, I thought. Uh, Kim Kardashian and Kanye West have a girl called North. Her last name is West. North West. Yeah, that way. Well, that way, whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> Bear Grylls and his wife, Shara, they have a boy called Jesse, then a boy called Marmaduke, and then a boy called Huckleberry, which is nice. For Jesse, I don't know about the other two. 
But probably the celebrity parent who takes the cake when it comes to names is Jamie Oliver and his wife Jules. They have children called Poppy, Honey, Rosie, Daisy, Boo, Pamela, Petal, Blossom, Rainbow, Buddy, Bear, Morris, and River Rocket. Those are their five children's names. Oh. Now, who's so worried about their name now? The, the, the crazy thing about names is that it's quite strange. You have no choice in your parents or in your genetics, and often when you are initially given your name, you have no choice in that either. And I don't know if you've ever talked to uh, your parents or whoever gave you your name, but have you ever asked them why they gave you the name that they gave you? I mean, did they say, look, when you came out, you looked like, you looked like a Bruce? I don't know. I don't know if babies look like a Bruce. but Or maybe they heard it on a song or they heard it on TV and they really, really liked it. And that's where I feel sorry for people who are called Billie Jean or Barbara Ann or Cheryl Marwana Marie. Uh, maybe you've talked to them and they said, look, I really, I heard that name and I really liked the meaning of it. Would that be... Okay. Maybe not. Well, I do hope that you do know the meaning of your name, and just kind of, just by for, for sort of interest's sake, I have done some research on some of the names that we have here this morning. So um, I'm going to tell you the name, the the country of origin, and then sort of what it means, just so you can kind of get a sense of your own identity, because names are really important for who you are and an important part of identity. So if your name is Grant here this morning, that's from the French and it means tall and confident. Yeah, solid. Or Sue, that's from the Hebrew origins, and it means graceful. Oh, lovely. Okay, if your name's Jordan, it's also from the Hebrew, and it means wise in judgment. Oh, yeah. If your name is Nigel, it's from the Latin, which means champion. Yeah. Uh, Stuart from the English, and it's actually from the word steward, which is uh, helpful also, or caretaker, someone who's very responsible. Joyce is from the Latin, and it has two meanings, which I think is very important. Joyce can mean vivacious, check, or it can also mean God's gift, double check. All right, if your name is Jason, it's from the Greek, and it means generous or benevolent. Uh, Lilani is from Hawaii. And it means heavenly flower. Ooh, that's cool. Janice is from the English. It means God is gracious, which is the same as Ian, although Ian's a Scottish version. Uh, but there's also some names that mean things that, um, well, the people I know may or may not be identified with them. If your name's Philip, uh, it's from the Greek, and it means lover of horses. <laughs> you into horses? No, I didn't think so. Uh, or if your name's Murray... It's Scottish, and it means sailor or man from the sea. No anchor tattoos or anything? No, okay. So most of the time, maybe not all the time, your name has an important meaning. But in ancient times, if you were given a name, it would never be because your parents were like, oh, we heard it on a song or we heard it on TV. In ancient times, your name was essential to establish your identity. Your name said something significant about you. So in ancient times, your name would represent your history and your heritage. Or it might speak of your character and your virtues and your values. It might reference important events or actions, or it may even foreshadow future, your future destiny. 
And so in the ancient world, everyone knew what your name meant and what you were all about. So let me give you some examples here. Um, from the Bible, Adam uh, means man, which is helpful. She's the first guy. Eve, living, or mother of the living. Abraham, the father of many. Moses, drew out, because Moses took God's people out of Egypt. Joshua, means the Lord saves. Ruth, means friendship. Hannah, favor or grace. Samuel, has heard of God. Peter, means rock. And Emmanuel, or Jesus, means God with us. Now that's just a very quick snapshot of some people from the Bible and, and if you look at their names and if you know parts of their story you'll know that their names represent who they were and what they were all about. So if this is true for people in the Bible then it is 100% true for God. And, and in the Bible God goes by a number of different names to describe him but they all have important meanings. They all represent something of who he, who he is. They all reveal something of his character. So again let me just give you a brief rundown of, of some of the names of God in the Bible. Elohim is one of the first names we're introduced to God and it means the one who creates from Genesis chapter 1. God created the world and everything in it. Or El Shaddai means the almighty or the all-sufficient. From Genesis chapter 17, when God makes a covenant with Abraham and says, I will provide, I am almighty. Adonai, uh, the Lord Master, uh, when it's, it's a term that Moses uses towards God to show respect. Or Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Again from Genesis 22, Abraham is about to sacrifice his son and then God provides uh, what he needs. El Deot, the one who knows from Samuel. And that's the prayer that Hannah prays in, um, in trusting that God knows what she needs in, in uh, eventually giving her a son. Abba, father, uh, a reference that Jesus gives to God, which is a very personal name. Or um, Elohai Kol Nechama, the God of all comfort. When Paul writes to the Corinthian church and talks about the troubles that they're in and promises that God will comfort them. Or me hal Hagoyim, the king of kings, acknowledging God's power and the honour that he is due. El Shalom, the God of peace, as a blessing uh, in Hebrews chapter 13. Or Yahweh, from Exodus chapter 3, I am who I am. And actually, Yahweh is the most common name uh, of God in, in the Bible. Yahweh, I am who I am. It's the ultimate self-designation. So, so perhaps you're aware, but in ancient times there was no photocopiers. And so the Jewish scribes, when they were copying out the Jewish scriptures, they would do it by hand. And so whenever they were writing and they came in the text to the name of God, this is what they would do. They would put down their pen, they would go away, they would wash themselves fully from head to foot, they would come back, they would pick up their pen, they would wipe their pen fully clean, they would then say, I am writing the name of God for the holiness of his name. They would write the name of God, Yahweh or some of those others. Then they would wipe the pen fully clean. They would go back, wash themselves from head to foot and they would come back and carry on writing. Every time they came to the name of God. Now you might think, what a load of us. Why all the effort would they, would they go through to do all that? 
Well, for the Jewish people, they really kind of had a mixture of fear and respect when it came to the name of God. Let me read to you a little bit from Deuteronomy chapter 28. And this is the, the warning God gives to his people. It says, if you do not carefully follow all the words of this law, which are written in this book, and do not revere this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, the Lord will send fearful plagues on you, prolonged disasters and severe and lingering illnesses. Just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and increase in number, so it will please him to ruin and destroy you. You'll be uprooted from the land and you'll be scattered uh, across all nations from one end of the earth to the other. You'll find no resting place for the sole of your feet. The Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing and a despairing heart. Doesn't sound fun, does it? And so in ancient times, God literally commanded respect. He had a powerful presence among his people. So think about that time in the wilderness and God led his people through a cloud and then a, power, a pillar of fire. And then when the Jewish people eventually got into the promised land, God gave a, a dazzling display of his glory. His glory would rest in the Jewish temple. It was very powerful, very clear and obvious presence among his people. But 2,000 years ago, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to dwell among us. And if you're familiar with history, you know what Jesus did. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He helped the poor. He, he uh, accepted the outcasts. And he taught people about God. And his teachings and his lifestyle were so radical that he threatened the establishment. To the point where Jesus was arrested and beaten. He was falsely accused and unjustly convicted. He was publicly mocked and killed on a cross. But then three days after his crucifixion, Jesus came back to life. He rose from the dead to prove that God had the power over death, that God could offer hope and life and freedom. And after his resurrection, uh, just before his resurrection, uh, no, sorry, after his resurrection, Jesus returned to heaven. But before he did that, he instructed his followers to go into all the world to teach people about him and to point people to God. And so in Acts chapter 9 this morning, we're going to pick up the story pretty much at that moment. The first followers of Jesus have started to spread throughout the Roman Empire and they're taking the teachings of Jesus with them. So if you've got a Bible, uh, open it, turn to it, swipe to it, whatever. Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to read the story um, and I'll give you some sort of explanations as we track through. So first up, Acts chapter 9 starting at... Verse 1, start of the chapter. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the followers of Jesus. So he went to the high priest and requested letters addressed to the Jewish synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring any Christians, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So let me just give you a quick explanation. There's a person here we're introduced to, Saul. And you'll see in the first line he was uttering threats with every breath against the Christians. He was a powerful religious leader at the time, but he was also essentially a hitman. He was hunting down any followers of Jesus, breathing out these murderous threats against the Lord's followers. He was out to get anyone who believed in Jesus. And up until this point, Saul had been really successful had actually supervised the execution of one of the first Christians, a man called Stephen. 
and he'd also persecuted and imprisoned many other Christian believers. So the first Christians were terrified of Saul. And he's heading to this city of Damascus to hunt out Christians. This is what happens next. As Saul was approaching Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice but did not see anyone. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now you imagine this. You're traveling along and then all of a sudden, boom, this, this, this bright light hits you, fall to the ground. This voice is calling you, questioning you, and, and this voice tells you that this is Jesus speaking and that you need to go to the city and wait. And when it's all finished, you're blind. So, you're, so Paul, Saul is helped to the city of Damascus. He's confused. He's exhausted. He doesn't eat or drink for three days. And he's just waiting in the city, waiting for whatever happens next. All right. Side tangent. Now there was a believer in Damascus called Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision and said, Go to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the Christians in Jerusalem and he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Now put yourself in the shoes of this guy for a second. God calls this man Ananias. And he says, you've got to help Saul get his sight back. And Ananias is like, um, God, uh, do you know who Saul is? Do you know what he's done? He is literally here to hunt down followers of Jesus. He's here to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. And it's a great example of telling God something he already knows. And this is God's very gracious but very direct response. This is what he says. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. For Saul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So God says, Saul is a chosen instrument. He is, he is to carry my name and he will suffer for the sake of my name. Now here's what you need to know. Saul was a Jewish religious leader. He knew the importance of the name of God. In fact, as a teenager, it was likely that he probably memorized huge portions of the Hebrew Scriptures. He would have respected, he would have feared the name of God. But what Saul did not know is that Jesus was God in the flesh. <coughs> that Jesus walked this planet as Emmanuel, as God with us. And in and through Jesus, people could see God. They could hear God. They could touch God. They could know God in a very personal, a very real way. Jesus is fully God in every aspect. And his name is the name of God. 
The name of Jesus was the name that Saul was to carry to the people of the world. And so that's what he did. If you read the rest of uh, the chapter, the next couple of lines, you'll see that Ananias does eventually go to Saul and he says, hey, Jesus has sent me so that you can be seen, so you can see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then immediately Saul can see. And he gets baptized and he eats some food and then he starts telling anyone who will listen who Jesus is and what he's done. And for the rest of his life, Saul who later changes his name to Paul, carries the name of Jesus. He planted churches. He wrote letters. He encouraged people. He taught people. He helped people. He discussed and debated. He prayed and he sang songs. He performed miracles in the name of Jesus. But it wasn't a life of comfort and clover. God promised Paul that he would suffer for the for carrying his name, that he would experience challenges because he carried the name of Jesus. And this is uh, Paul reflecting near the end of his life on some of those challenges that he experienced. He wrote, I've served Christ, I've worked hard, I've been put in prison, I've been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've travelled on on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts and on the seas. And I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Now that's quite a rap list, right? Paul has experienced riots and beatings and imprisonment, shipwrecks, harassment, hardship, abuse, all because he carried the name of Jesus. There's a guy called Peter. He was another follower of Jesus. He endured similar hardships to Paul. And he wrote this, If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. I wonder if Saul, Paul, I wonder if Peter, if they knew the potential costs, if they would be willing to carry the name. I mean, they did. And I wonder if we too would be willing to carry the name of Jesus into the world, knowing that there's a cost to be carried as well. I guess the fascinating thing is that we are really good name carriers. I mean, every day we carry a lot of names, a lot of names. I'm going to read out some names that we carry, just a list of names. If you like that name, you're welcome to give it a cheer. If you don't like that name, you're welcome to give it a boo. But um, let, me, let me read to you some names that we carry. Nike is a name. Adidas is a name. Levi Strauss is a name. Calvin Klein is a name. Some of you might be wearing Calvin Klein under your jeans. Ralph Lauren is a name. Dolce & Gabbana, Louis Vuitton. Gucci is a name. Barkers is a name. Glassons. Jockey. Some of you might be wearing jockey under your jeans. Rolex is a name. The Highlanders is a name. The Silver Ferns is a name. The All Blacks is a name. Holden is a name. Ford is a name. 
VW is a name. Jaguar is a name. Chevrolet is a name. Toyota. Honda. Harley Davidson is a name. Microsoft is a name. Apple Mac is a name. Apple iPhone is a name. Apple iPad is a name. Apple AirPods are a name. Apple TV is a name. Android is another name. Samsung is a name. Sony, Panasonic, Google is a name. Amazon is a name. Facebook is a name. YouTube, Pinterest is a name. Spotify is a name. Instagram is a name. Netflix is a name. Disney Plus is a name. Visa is a helpful name. McDonald's is a name. KFC is a name. Subway is a name. Domino's, Coca-Cola. Cadbury's is a name. Whitaker's is a name. Lego. <laughs> Lego is a name. Fisher and Paykel is a name. Bosch is a name. Makita is a name. Bruce Springsteen is a name. Johnny Cash is a name. U2 is a name. The Beatles are a name. The Rolling Stones. Bob Dylan is a name. Baptist is a name. Brethren is a name. Presbyterian is a name. Anglican is a name. Otago is a name. Alexandra is a name. Clyde is a name. Omacow is a name. Alexandra Baptist Church is a name. <laughs> New Zealand is a name. I could go on. But we carry a lot of names on our clothing, jewellery, on our shoes, in our backpack, in our pocket, in our wallet, on our cell phone, on our Facebook page, on our bookshelf, in our kitchen, in our garage, in our office, in our, on our stereo, on the front of our car, and our posters, on our wheels. Everywhere we carry these names. And all of these names, all of these people, all of these brands, they are counting on you to carry their name. Because if you don't carry their name, they go broke. They have no money. Now, I'm not criticising any of their names. A lot of that stuff is good stuff, but every day we decide which names we will carry, which brands we will endorse, which business we will support, which names we will carry, but none of those names are the name. None of those names are the greatest name, the name that will last forever, that one day will be respected by everyone that has ever lived. This is what Saul, later as Paul, wrote to a church in Philippi. God elevated him, that's Jesus, to the place of highest honour and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every name should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, when you carry the name of Jesus, when you are Christian, when you carry his name, you believe and you trust in Jesus, you honour and respect him, you want to live and love like him. And so when you carry the name of Jesus, you show goodness and gentleness. You are patient with people, you encourage people, you get angry at the injustice in the world, you look forward to a better future and you tell others who Jesus is and what he has done and you share the name of Jesus. Because his name will save us from sin, it will sustain us in our suffering, it rescues us from evil and his name reconciles us to God. And in the uncertainty and the confusion of our world, people are desperate to hear his name. 
in our workplaces, in our sports fields, in our schools, in our shops, in our homes, in our communities. People need to hear his name, but they're only going to hear it if you are willing to carry it. Would your friends and your family, would your teachers, would your coaches, would your workmates, would your neighbours say, I never knew about Jesus because you never talked about him. When they know that you love your Apple iPhone, they know that you love the Highlanders or the Black Caps or the Silver Ferns, they know that you love Holden or you love Ford, but they never heard you talk about Jesus. They never saw you carry his name. The name of Jesus is the most important name ever. And as Christians, we have the privilege and the opportunity to carry his name into the world. Like Paul, you are his chosen instrument to carry his name. And I think at the beginning of this new year, as we look ahead to 2022, we have a choice. We can be mules for our culture. We can be caught up in consumerism and, and carry brands and fashion labels and products, and we can give those names priority in our lives. We can make those names the most important. Or we could carry the name of Jesus. We could live for him. We could love like him. We could trust him, and we could tell others about him. So friends, this morning I simply want to challenge you to carry the name of Jesus. And may you agree with the ancient words of the prophet Isaiah when he wrote this, Lord, we show our trust in you by obeying your laws. Our heart's desire is to glorify your name. Now, if you want to live like this, and I really encourage you to, if you want to carry the name of Jesus every day, then here's just a very simple, simple reminder you can do. During this, uh, our last song, when the band comes up and, and as we're singing, I invite you to go to the table at the back uh, and you'll find uh, some pens and you'll find um, a little sticker. And on that sticker, I encourage you to write, Hello, my name is Jesus. As a reminder that you are carrying the name of Jesus wherever you go. So, during uh, the song, you're welcome to do that as the band sings, but let me just pray. God, we're grateful for the reminder of your presence with us, that you are with us and you are powerful and you are personal. And we have a responsibility to carry your name. We're not perfect. We always make mistakes. But we're grateful for your grace and your mercy and that your Holy Spirit guides us every day.